Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soyini Koch. Can you imagine a world without grocery stores? That world may be closer than you think. And we've talked about disruption in various industries throughout our time on CEO Exclusive. And we're going to talk a little bit about disruption in consumer packaged goods today. So I'm delighted to have on the show Keith and Nikki Schroeder, CEO and COO of High Road Craft Ice Cream. And they have been awarded and been on the Inc. 5000 list. And so I'm really excited to have them on the show. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start off. Keith and Nikki, uh, talking about what you're seeing in terms of trends and consumer packaged goods that you think would be of interest to, to the CEOs listening to the show. Well, I mean, it, it depends on on what tier the business is, is at. Uh, low and middle market, I would say be very optimistic. Uh, if you're part of an established CPG company, I would say look out <laughs> or get your acquisition hat on. I think that what we've got here emerging in, in consumer packaged goods, particularly in food, is a crop of talent and talented businesses out there who are absolutely aligned with the needs of the consumer. And to some degree, these companies are profit second, right? They're just looking to thrill and delight the consumer, and, and they believe so much in their products and their services that they, they, they know that the, the money will come if they get their products out on the shelves and into the hands of the consumers. And would you consider your company to be one of those that likes to thrill and delight its its consumers? Yeah, um, and and to become a fixture. You know, we we are are working very hard to emerge as as a company and a brand and a product line that uh, emerges as a new classic. Mm. Uh, we look at a an, uh, an ice cream like our bourbon burnt sugar as something that should have 30, 40 year shelf life. Not one pint, the the brand. (laughs) I don't want the the ice cream to last 30 years. A week tops. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. People, that does. That sounds like that might not make it all the way to the to the, gro- to the to the freezer, you know, from the from the grocery store. I don't know that it's going to make it that far. You know, you talked about these disruptive smaller companies that have a different different value system than yes. some of the the um the older, more established consumer packaged goods companies. What are you seeing in terms of how that's playing out in the market? Well, I think that, that that companies like ours can get products on the shelf uh, uh, much, much, much faster than uh, a large bureaucratic organization. I mean, if we had a retailer come to us and say, we need eight flavors on the on the shelf in a month new from scratch, we would say no problem. And that would absolutely shake a CPG group to its core. Well, so what about our test marketing? And what about our processes? And what about our product development funnel? And what about all of our internal lingo, blah, 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 blah. And so what I say is the customer asked for eight new flavors in a month, do it. For us, it's, it's a blast. And, you know, what we're hoping at some point is that we're attractive you know, to to the right private equity group or, or uh, you know, maybe someone to bolt us on. But we're certainly interested in being bolted on and left alone if that happens. I was right? going to say, that sounds a little <clears throat> bit contrary to... Well, the, yeah, bolt on and learn, culture, right? Yeah. And, and and allow allow these uh, nimble small businesses to retain their culture. And then you can kind of learn from the incubator that, that we are and can be. So, Nikki, operationally... <clears throat> When Keith says, 
eight flavors in a month. Mm-hmm. And the, there's this established protocol in big consumer packaged goods companies for how that's supposed to be done. How do you ensure that a quality product, that it's not just something that's not going to work that gets delivered at the end of a month? Sure. No, we have a fantastic um, quality team. We really get those guys um, right in the beginning of, of when we're working with uh, our, our partners, if you will. We're an SQF uh, level three certified uh, company now, and we have all of the all the steps that that a big, you know, a, a Nestle or a Unilever is going to have, as far as making sure that uh, we're getting safe quality food and it's innovative and it's fun and it's exactly what the customer wants in in the timeline that they need because that's the most important part is really having have if they you know if they want to be disruptive and they want to have something on the shelves you know. Not a year and in, in you know a month or two, we can do that because we've got chefs on board, we've got great quality team, and we've got a fantastic production staff that can get it done with the machines that we have, with the kitchen and the production kitchen that we have. So we're able to be super, super nimble. And we don't rule by committee either. So we've created a meeting-free culture. There are almost no meetings. We have one meeting a week at our company. It's an executive meeting. And there are times where we've collaborated so much and so fluidly during the week, we get to the end of the day Thursday and go, no need for that meeting tomorrow. We're good. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, that that meeting will take place, you know, on average every other week, maybe once a month, but we're we're getting tons done. We have trust in one another. So there there is absolutely no reason if I trust uh, a product developer who, who has researched a product, you know, let's say we're making a, a Latin flavor and I go to my chef and he understands that culture implicitly, I'm going to let him run with it. It's not going to be 12,000 tastings. And remember, I was a chef prior, right? So you had to go in for the day. You had to have a special offered up for those waiters for the evening. You didn't have 17 months to decide, should I put the cilantro on the left or the, the little grinding of pepper on the right? You just made, you, you worked from the soul and you made a beautiful product and you sold it to a customer. And they said, thank you. And it, I think that CPG overcomplicates things in looking for the mass audience. And it shortchanges the consumer. I think this, the, the consumer ends up getting a homogenized product eight times out of 10 serendipity. I mean, we love jazz for a reason because there's something improvisational about it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a product that has uh, maybe a year of a, of a life in terms of its relevancy to be somewhat improvisational and evolutionary as we make the product. We've had flavors that have started, you know, one way and have sim- with the same ingredient deck, but have evolved and gotten better over mm-hmm. time. And the consumer doesn't doesn't fault companies for slightly improving their products. I mean, you've learned that with apps too, right? How many times do you open your iPhone or your phone and there's there's an update, 1.2.1, 1.2.3, 1.2.4. I mean, I use Slack. If you use Facebook on your phone, that that darn thing is updating constantly, right? So why can't we do that with food? And Mm. and we do. And we have uh, tastings every Friday where where we cut all the products throughout the week that we've made and and constantly improved. So it's a really fun, it's fun for, for everyone to get together because it goes Where fun. are they? <laughs> <laughs> Meet you us might at have 2 a, o'clock at two High o'clock Road at high today. Road. <laughs> <laughs> we will have an array of flavors out for you to taste. But we do, We uh, and we work with everyone who makes, who has the hands on the product from... From the chefs in the kitchen to the to the guys running the line, we all, uh, it's very open, 
culture of how to fix it, how to make it better, how to keep continually improving it. So it's it's fun because nobody's like, well, that's not good because you didn't get the right pistachio. And it's it's like, how can we how can we make this better? Uh, you know, day after day, week after week. Mm. So it's fun. I want to go to actually something that you had talked about, Keith, when we were preparing for the show yesterday. So we talked a little bit about disruption in um, CPG and, you know, this notion that there are all these small companies that are really uh, changing the way that things are done. And and you said that you think that the consumer packaged goods in the United States, as we know it today, may completely disappear. Yes. I would love for you to to share a little bit of of that with the people listening. Yes. You know, I think that when you have dozens and dozens and dozens of brands and product lines that are operating through a similar corporate lens. I think the consumer has figured out that there's a homogeneity to that vibe, what they end up with. And it may be a perfectly functional product, but it's not magnificent. It's not interesting. It doesn't connect them to humans. You you see uh, CPG brands on social media and they could spend tons of money to get the likes, right? They can get the the clicks, but do they really get the kind of engagement that they're looking for from the consumer? So I'd question those metrics as well, because it's still muddy, right? It's still a new way Regardless of the fact that we're 10, 12 years into social media, we're still figuring it out. What was TV like 10, 12 years in, in terms of how people advertised to, or how how companies advertised to the consumer? So I just think the structure of CPG is is deeply flawed. I, 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 you know, I was watching uh, Becoming Warren Buffett on on HBO the other night. And, and I almost like his model better where there's holding company and then autonomy around, I think, next to consumers where you let CEOs and their talent drive a relationship through what it is that they do best. And, and in our case, it's not necessarily ice cream, but, but, but we, what we've learned about ourselves is we're really good at Frozen. And we got very good at Frozen. So that entire Frozen section in the supermarket has been kind of stayed and stale for a long time. It's been time. frozen. It's been, it's been, right? <laughs> it's been frozen. It's flat. Like, oh, more pizza, another bird's eye flavored vegetable, ranch, uh, buffalo, cauliflower. Like, that's just what I was craving, right? I mean, and, and it's fine and it's fun and it's cute and it's great, but it's not enduring, you know, and it's not soulful. And we have we have cultures to highlight in the United States of America where we're, we're starting to understand a, a, a real regionality and a micro-regionality to our cuisine. And folks from different places are interested in foods from other places. So if you go to Brooklyn, New York right now, the vibe is distinctly Birmingham, Alabama. It doesn't feel like the Brooklyn of my youth, right, when you go into the restaurant world. And so I think all of that is missing uh, because marketers look for that kind of mass-centric, big $100 million skew. And that's great. And maybe that's wildly popular, but I still don't think it serves the consumer, right? So if you have CEOs like me who don't care to ever make $17 million a year, who'd be perfectly content to be entry-level wealthy at some point, right? who just delights in delighting the consumer, we're going to beat the greedy people all day long, all day long for the rest of our lives. And there are enough of us out there who like success but aren't greedy, who are going to 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 work very, very hard to eradicate greed winning in business. 
But at the same time, I mean, you have to be enabled by a lot of the the technology and the shifts in business today because 20 years ago, you couldn't get shelf space. You couldn't get into Kroger. So there was so we as consumers didn't have the choice. We wouldn't find you. Yes, but Amazon is going to look at Amazon has looked at Kroger. Your your direct to consumer businesses that are sitting in garages right now are plotting the death of grocery. Which is where we started the show. Yeah. It's over. It's over. It's fully over. The days of <laughs> slotting fees are over. The days of two companies dominating a category over. It's not going to be Coke and Pepsi anymore. It's not going to be, you know, Frito-Lay and other, you know, it, it there. It's going to be craft everything, not just craft beer. It's going to be craft, craft potato chips and craft, you know, right. and let, ice cream. And, and, let, and let's hope all these label words go away. I mean, it was artisanal a week ago and then it became craft, right? And then they had our artisan Tostitos, which era- like killed the word instantly. Like, <laughs> how the hell did that happen? Artisan That's- Tostitos, do they have like a little a little lady from Oaxaca making the, <laughs> making the, the round chips by hand? Like, there's, that's not artisanal. No way. So, so, so these words end up losing meaning. So we're we're getting to the point where we hope that people who make food <laughs> that poor marketer at at a Frito Lay, oh, just like what the hell? Oh uh, yeah, this, I just slammed you hard. I apologize, but it, <laughs> you deserve it. Food professionals, people in the food business, should be food people, and I think the consumer benefits from that. Right? There are a lot of chefs out there right now who could go get an MBA. Right? Get in front of a lot of intelligent people who have been in the corporate world build a support structure around them, stop killing themselves in restaurants, develop a product, and go disrupt the grocery shelves. There's a chef out there right now who makes a great hot sauce. There's a chef out there who is, who's a vegan who can really innovate in the category, and he, is, and he or she might be spending... Can we get some, beyond tofu, please? Right. Right. And we can. I mean, maybe that'll probably be a company name tomorrow, <laughs> Beyond Tofu, right? <laughs> Writing and, it down <laughs> right now. <laughs> and they'll run with it. And I don't even want to say the grocery of tomorrow because I, I truly believe that the Instacarts of the world aren't going to have to go shop in a, in a grocery store that's actually open to the public. I think it'll be a, a micro distribution center where they gather. The, and the, the drone will deliver my apples to my door. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And that that's what we talked about. You said, I'm not going to get an apple by drone. I said, I think you are. <laughs> any any kind you want. <laughs> Great. So um, for those of you listening to the sh- show, we're talking to Keith and Nikki Schroeder from High Road Craft Ice Cream, um, an Inc. 500 company here in the Atlanta area about disruption in, in food and, and um, consumer packaged goods. So in the second half of the show, I yeah. love to talk about the relationship between our guests. And um, we have another husband and wife team on the show, which is always really exciting. I want to go back to something that you mentioned a few minutes ago, which is how on earth, like really tell us, how do you have a meeting-free company? Mm. How does that actually work? Because uh. I, could, I could imagine that like, you know, if you don't have meetings and everybody could be all helter-skelter doing stuff and it's uncoordinated. So I credit, that scares me. I credit uh, Slack, mm. actually. So Slack as a technology, if if utilized appropriately, creates, and, and it was a pain point at first, a 24-7 dialogue between folks on the team. And and what a, a established over time were, were... That sounds awful. Well, 
<laughs> to start, let me tell to you, it, it, was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was too much. It was everything thrown at a wall. It was stream of consciousness. But then we set expectations with one another to be uh, concise, clear, right? Uh, are you are you posting something that can be followed, right? And and is it actionable, right? Are you just spewing some random idea at the wall? Uh, so the random idea at the wall, stream of consciousness stuff was banned. And the second that that was banned, we started just really helping one another. And it, and it created an, an, an environment where of trust, really. There was visibility in real time so that we didn't have to have the meeting for the update. Like, okay, Bob, let's go to you. We knew everything you did because you were reporting it in real time. Okay, uh, you know, sanitation schedule revision complete attached. We don't have to have a meeting to say, Bob, did you do the sanitation schedule? It's clear. The other thing that it created within the organization was a really positive feedback culture where when someone delivered something that was expected on time, they were getting celebrated like crazy. And I underestimated uh, pre-Slack the value of seeing everyone go, that's amazing, beautiful work, fantastic. I really love the typography. And then seeing someone like Nikki who's doing design work just really perk up because people are paying attention to what she's doing and not just tuning out when it's, you know, a a two-way conversation in the meeting. You know, any of us who have facilitated meetings before know that if I'm going direct one-on-one with something, everyone else is tuning out, grabbing the phone, checking a text. And it just got to the point where I was reading the body language and the twitchiness of our people in in a very tactile environment and said, to heck with this, no more meetings. And we've been more productive. Uh, Folks are leaving on time. We're still a very entrepreneurial environment. There's no one pulling all-nighters. We don't have this uh, startup culture that you see uh, that's so celebrated, right? It's, you know, go home, go to sleep, go see your wife, go hang out with your child. It's important. It's important. It's just condensed the day. I think. What What's your take? Yeah, I think uh, with this, with using Slack, we have like there's specific channels that you could pay more attention to if that's in your line of work. So if you're, you know, a, a CIP guy at night cleaning, you know, you're going to look on your CIP channel for things. You're, unless you want to watch the the sales and marketing or the you know or the kitchen production or you're going to watch specific channels. So you're not going to go down rabbit holes that you don't want to unless you unless you want to. Um, and then, you know, there's certain things that some people are invited to and like lock channels, which are great because then you have a leadership team where the high the higher level um, business is going on in that leadership channel where, you know, the whole the whole company's not going to get when you don't necessarily want everybody to know that you're looking no. at being acquired. Yeah, so, right, right. <laughs> so so the, the, the critical piece of the no, non-meeting culture, I mean, and I guess it could be argued on the opposite side, is we have kind of a stream of me- live meeting amongst mm-hmm. the five leaders in the organization at all times. And what I realized about them is, A, they're brilliant, and B, they don't need my help 99% of the time. And so they're trying to encourage me to go out be on radio shows, be the face of the business, go sell, sell, sell. And we got it, Keith. And that is visibility for me, where I would argue and I would guess that that the folks who work directly under me now would not uh, categorize me as a, as a micromanager. In fact, they know we've got them when we need them, we know how to reach them. Mm-hmm. And that that's an evolution for me, especially having been a chef where you're taught 
to micromanage. Yeah, everything. you want to make yeah. sure that the, that the peppercorn <laughs> is on the right side of the plate instead right. of the left side of the plate. Right. And it was. It's, it's been an evolution. evolution. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really nice way of putting it, Nikki. You're like it's been an evolution. <laughs> it has. I have to remember that when I'm talking to my clients. Well, you know, I think we should probably evolve a little bit <laughs> um, and, and be open to to the that kind of technology. Because at first, I was the first person to be like, "This Slack is the worst thing I've ever seen." It's like my mind is already this. Uh, you know, Keith calls me like shiny object chaser, and I, I tend to, you know get my mind on all the, all the things that are, uh, urgent, you know, right away. And, uh, so Slack all of a sudden became this like overwhelming ding, 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 ding. That would drive me nuts. Yeah. Until you, you learn to kind of use that energy properly and go, okay, what, what's, what channels do I need to pay attention to? What channels are actionable that need my attention right now? And, and there's, there's ways of calling, you know, calling people out to be like, okay, this needs your help right now. And there's an immediate, a chime or something that, you know, so you don't get inundated with just a bunch of, you know, this is happening here, this is happening here. So it's a, it's definitely helped us out. We had to have an intervention with a, a, a new executive <laughs> on the team yesterday where he, he said, well, my really productive time is between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. And he would just start sending, 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 sending stuff to people. And we took them in a room together and like, everyone thinks you're crazy <laughs> and, and that you don't have any command of your mind. And and your thought process that you need to corral that we're not we're not asking to be a bolt on to your stream of consciousness, <laughs> put it in your own little private notebook, and then find the best bits and tell them to <laughs> us. When, and after seven a.m., <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> That's so funny. So so Nikki, I'm I'm very curious about how then you manage the creative process because. In my consulting teams, you know, there's this moment where you come together and we're trying to work something out and like you have to have the back and forth in order to be able to, it just, for me, maybe I'm wrong, but it, to try to do that over email and there's some stuff that you need to physically look at together and yes. point things out. So how do you do that when you don't meet? Well, I think there's, there's like meeting culture, if you want to use the air quotes around it, but then yeah. there's, there's a just being mindful of folks' time. So if I've got something that needs to be reviewed, I'll, I'll put it on Slack and say, hey, team, review this and look at this, 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 you know, pertaining to, you know, the quality person. Make sure all the ingredients and nutritional labels are correct on this next run of our label. Keith, make sure all the language is right. Um, and if we need to sit down and physically look at at these, you know, but send a PDF and, and have everyone take their own time to look and review things as as they're progressing so that we're not all sitting around a table looking at, you know, to me, it's just, it's just, it takes everyone's time because that, you know, a chef might be able to be, you know, looking over something in a kitchen. Instead, I have him in, in a room looking at a PDF when he could do that at home at 2 a.m. or whenever he wants to. So it's that, uh, it's just being mindful of, uh, of folks' time. But if there is something like, if I need to get with Keith on something, I'll go in and meet with him, but it'll take five minutes rather than gathering a group of people on, on one thing. It, it's very, um, you know, five minutes quick get what I need to get. And then I, and then I go. So we, we definitely have, it's not like a no meeting culture. It's just not a big meeting. It's, it's single one-on-one -on -one style, uh, meet meetings. You know, my dad was a, was a football coach and, uh, I played football as a kid and 
so we've decided rather than meeting, we just huddle. Mm. We huddle standing up, we call the play, we move on, we do the next thing. And, you know, to Nikki's point, oftentimes there's, there's a different amount of time required out of each expert when she's trying to get a project done. And it might be that she needs three minutes from one guy and 30 minutes from another. It doesn't seem to make sense to have the three-minute guy at the table mm-hmm. at all. You know, it's interesting. It's unique. It works for us. I think it's fascinating. It's it, it it's it, I think it would be really interesting for someone to come in from a corporate culture into ours to do a, to do a day in the life at High Road because it is very fluid and and you could see that people leave at the end of the day to go to the gym or go to their families and it's 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 a bizarre evolution because in the early days of High Road folks would go home exhausted. Now they leave looking like they just started their day. They're pumped up. They're ready to go. They have ideas for tomorrow. They've got to be forced out the door, right? Because they're having fun, and it's it's magnificent. And I and I can't say that uh, this is by design. And again, it is truly evolutionary at the business and just a process of discovery because we wanted to get to the point where we respect we naturally respected one another deeply, but through our actions, we wanted to make sure that we really loved one another and loved the the holistic person. Like we care about you as a human and, and you're long-term at this business. We've got a lot to accomplish. We have Nestle and Unilever to go pick on, right? And that's, that's, a, that's a fun thing for a rebellious bunch. Let's go pick on the big guy. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this, is, this has been really, really, really interesting. Is there anything other than the, what is it, burnt sugar bourbon. Is there anything other than that that you think people listening to the show be really interesting in knowing about? I think our new caramel pecan, we to the to the new uh, you know, new newer newest, we uh started out with this flavor uh and it's like a southern beauty. It's uh we started out with a it's got a caramel base to it and then it's got candied pecans. And then Keith said, you know, we used to have a flavor called brown butter praline that we would sell. And uh, it would have a swirl of caramel in it. And Keith would eat the caramel pecan. He was like, oh, man, I just miss that swirl of caramel on top of that. And we were like, and we got, and, you know, we huddled with the, with the uh, manufacturing um, lead. And he said, I could, I could swirl caramel in there. That's not a problem. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's, like, let's take another try at what you want and try to get it to be that, uh, that level of uh, quality that you want. And so when the, the last rendition of the caramel pecan has this gorgeous brown butter caramel swirled plus the pecans plus the caramel. But it's like crazy. If you like caramel, it's like it takes it over the edge. <laughs> and that's that's my that's my that's, new, yours. that's my new jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so where can you where can you get uh, get your product? Very excited to say that starting uh, in March 1, you'll be able to get it at every Publix in America, which Ooh. is exciting. That's it's a big deal exciting. for us. Uh, Whole Foods uh, Supermarkets uh, has been a loyal partner for a long time. So you can get both our High Road and Boulevard brands there. You can get us at Sprouts. We love when you go buy our product at independent uh, markets like Candler Park Market and the Mercantile, among others. Uh, are you at Sevenanda? Uh, no, we're working on that. You're working on that. Yeah, Maddie's on that. All right, we've got it. (laughs) And then um, Harris Teeter. Yep, Harris Teeter up in the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. Um, Increasingly, more and more across the country, we've got good placement in Texas too. So wonderful. Well, it's been great to have you on the show. For those of you listening, we're talking to Keith and Nikki Schroeder of High Road Craft Ice Cream. Um, It's been really great having you, and I hope you listening will check out our blog that comes out on Thursday, where we're gonna. 
highlight the key takeaways from this uh, the show, like how to get no, to not have any meetings. That's really, really fascinating <laughs> to figure out how to do that. Uh, you can join us on a day. Just pick a day you want to come and visit Yeah, us. <laughs> I mean, I could get back, what, like 20 hours in my week. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you can check that out at CEOExclusiveRadio.com. Have a productive, prosperous, and very profitable week. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.